0: Thank you guys for tuning in today. This is episode 6 of Coaching Connections with Marcus Alvarado. Now today we have Coach Luke McKay of the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. We also have Coach Cliff Ellis of Temple Junior College, who just got hired as a head coach there, moving up from the high school ranks to the college ranks. Super happy for him. We had a great conversation amongst the three of us. These guys know a lot about basketball and know a lot about coaching. We talked about so much from the journeys up until this point in their careers, and there's just so much insight for all coaches out there. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode just as much as I did. Episode 6, Coach McKay, Coach Ellis. Let's get after it.
1: How's everything going, man? It's
0: going, Coach. It's going good. I can't complain a bit. Yeah.
1: yeah. What's going on, fellas? What's happening, Coach? Coach?
2: How are you doing? Good. You're sideways, though. There you go. Oh. Yeah, I'm trying to get it straightened out there. <laughs> Look at that! Trying you to, should trying to figure all this out. Trying to figure all this out. The shirt looks good on you, Coach. Uh-huh. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's awesome. Congratulations. I appreciate it. Thank you. How are things going down there with you guys?
1: Worst thing I got to look out for right now is a sunburn when I go out to the pool. That's about it. So we're pretty good. <laughs> so we're doing all right. Cool. I hear you. Well, How I about just, you, Coach?
0: I'm Why good. Is- I'm good. I just uh, – I told Coach uh, McKay a, a couple weeks ago, we adopted our two kids uh, last year. Today's actually the one-year anniversary of the day we adopted them.
2: Oh, okay. Cool. Man. cool.
0: But that keeps me busy, you know. So yeah. i this parenting thing and one-seven – uh, and one's nine, and so so we're yeah. uh, doing their schoolwork online, and we're doing their first and third grade stuff. And They're running around the house, arguing with each other. You know, but, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's fun. I got, <laughs> got second
2: grader and fourth grader doing the same thing.
0: And I, ah. I, what, I, what are y'all arguing about? There's nothing to fight about. <laughs> I know. I know. Just trying to figure that part out. That's awesome. But, I mean, luckily, you know, in our profession, we get to stay home, and someone gets to be with them. No, I don't got to go to work. Right?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that's that's a blessing. But I know you guys uh, have really busy schedules, right? <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. Uh, Cliff's going through a lot of transition right now, so I appreciate y'all taking time to talk. Um, no
2: problem. No and, problem.
0: And um, we'll get started if y'all are ready. Yeah. Yeah. So first off, uh, just just talk a little bit about what y'all are up to these days, uh, as far as. Staying busy during COVID.
2: Well, uh, you know we have a, a workout routine for our, um, for the high school players at Clemens. Um, you know if they can get to a court or a gym by themselves, but of course that's kind of difficult now with the social distancing. We try to give them some things to work on their own: ball handling drills, jump rope, whatever it can be, something to do without a without a goal um, to keep themselves in shape. Get out and run a little bit on their own uh but now that i'm transitioning uh to temple college doing a lot of recruiting (laughs) so i've been i've called more high school coaches in the last week than i probably have in 20 years around texas and um you know just trying to find the right players for our program so that that's that's keeping me busy
0: nice and coach bouquet
1: yeah for us as far as our players go for a while there was neither here nor there on what we could do with our players, what we could require them to do. Our guys are spread out literally all over the world. We've got guys from Texas to the Northeast uh, to Minnesota. One of our players is back in Australia right now. So uh, everybody's got different resources of what's available to them and different parts of the country and different parts of the world have different types of restrictions and regulations on what they're doing. So it's it's difficult to to Ask a play. You don't want to encourage a player to do something that flies in the face of what his his society or his uh, community is doing. So, really, we just encourage them to try and do the best they can and stay in shape and make the most of whatever resources they have. Some of them it might just be a little bit of space in an apartment. Uh, some of them may have more. So, we just encourage them to do the best they can with what they have right now and uh, stay on top of their academics because we are still in school and, and we are – progressing a lot of our guys have online classes so there's really not too much change for a lot of them other than where they're doing their work and uh, so we're staying on top of them academically and obviously like coach said uh, recruiting you can do that wherever you are with cell phones and technology now so that that doesn't stop that keeps on going it's it's a different different landscape as far as recruiting goes now because you can't go see people you can't look at people and watch players but it still continues
0: yeah And what about just personally, Uh, what are you guys doing to stay uh, sane and not go crazy? I crossed that path a long time ago.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I tried to read when I can, Um, you know, but even that's becoming hard to come by, Uh, just keeping busy. So, um, you know, try to exercise you get out of the house, try to exercise when you can so you're not cooped up in here. Get out, play with the kids when I can. But, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I mean, it's, uh, it's tough to find anything else to do right now as, as I'm transitioning. So, yeah.
1: Same thing. I try to get out and, and walk around. Fortunately, my location is one that I can be outside all day. So um, I'm out, out of the house as much as possible, exercising as much as possible. Uh, I'm using the time to catch up because I'm not in the office and I'm not around. I don't necessarily have the same strains on wow. my time as I usually do to kind of catch up on uh, international basketball. So I'm watching a lot of Australian basketball. I'm watching a lot of uh, games and teams from Euro leagues, teams that I can't even pronounce their names, but uh, <laughs> excellent, excellent basketball, really good basketball. And the stuff that maybe wow. here in America we don't see or pay attention to enough because it's, it's not NBA, it's not college. So you know, they don't speak English. So it's kind of, Pushed to the background and forgotten, but it's really, really, really high level basketball with excellent plays and excellent coaches. So, on a personal note, that's kind of what I've been doing.
0: All right, just give me a 10 seconds, real quick, guys. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Like I said, this, this is new to me, too. <laughs> this, this <stuff. laughs> All right, um, let's talk a little bit about childhood, you know, upbringing. Uh, uh, where you grew up, what it was like, uh, maybe some that kind of guided you down the path towards uh, coaching um, and that, and that kind, of, those kind of things.
2: Go ahead, Coach McKay. You can handle that one first.
1: Uh, well, I'm originally from Australia, so I grew up in Australia and spent my whole childhood in Australia. I didn't come here until uh, I was in college, so I came over here for college ball. Um, but a bit a big sporting culture and I was growing up late 80s early 90s is when I was in my preteen and teen years when basketball was just huge around the world that was the Chicago Bulls you know the Michael Jordan everything that's when they were blowing up so basketball kind of took over in Australia there for, for that time and uh, so I just jumped on my friends were doing it so I did it and started playing and just kind of followed the bouncing ball over here and just played until father time said I can't play anymore. I was too old to run up and down the court with the young guys and uh, really didn't, wasn't too sure what I wanted to do once I got done playing, but I just know I knew I wanted to be around the game as much as I could. I didn't want to have a real job where I was in a shirt and tie and behind a desk uh, all my life, but Found a real enjoyment in working with kids, and that's what led me to being a high school teacher first, special education teacher first, and then just kind of, again, followed just followed the bouncing ball and landed here. Uh, really didn't have a plan in place for it, but just went where I was enjoying it, and went where my heart felt like uh, I'd enjoyed the most and have the most impact on kids, and here I am. Nice. You Ellis? jealous yeah, I
2: was military kid, so we moved around quite a bit. So we went from, what uh, was it, the Seattle area to Berlin to, to South Carolina, and then finally landed here in the mid-'80s. Um, and so I grew up in and around the military bases. Uh, you know, that, that's where I played the bulk of my basketball was, you know, maybe live off base but then play basketball on base with the other military kids. So I saw different, different perspectives on basketball a lot. Um, then, you know, I played at Roosevelt for Coach Littleton and, um, you know, for four years. And I learned a lot from him. But how I actually got into coaching was because of him, it was kind of by accident. Uh, all through high school and, and middle school, we used to have that rule where you couldn't have more than three guys from a school on the same summer league team or on the same team in the summer. So you were very limited that you couldn't play in leagues with your high school teams. Uh, so all through junior high, middle school and, uh, and uh, high school, uh, you know, we played for our school teams and we played AAU basketball. You only had three guys from the school. We kind of played what we called BCI back then, which was just, you know, you got with other guys from other schools, three other guys, three other guys from another school. You played little summer league games and that was kind of it. But then the rules changed as I graduated in 95 is when they opened the rules up to league play where you have, like, the AAU like we have now. And so Coach Littleton needed a coach for the Roosevelt Summer League team. I guess he didn't know how this thing was going to work either since it was brand new. And he called me, and so I just showed up at the game and started coaching. I had no idea what I was doing. Still don't today. And I think I was just hollering out. You know, I was just kind of restating the obvious. Somebody didn't get a rebound, I said get the rebound. Somebody, you know, uh, didn't play defense, You hollered, play defense. Yeah, even had no idea what I was doing. But, uh, but I think the first game we played, the kids, uh, something happened. One of the kids hit a shot at the buzzer. And uh, from then, I just loved it. I just loved being a part of it. I saw a different perspective in basketball other than playing. And so I started coaching the summer leagues every summer when I came home. And that's kind of how I got started with coaching.
0: So but let's talk about, uh, I guess, the journey, the coaching journey. Right? Your, your, first, your first coaching job, I guess, was that summer league. And then you kind of fell in love with it. So then from there, where did you go as far as the journey? For me, um,
2: I uh, when I finished playing at Texas State uh, as part of my undergraduate degree, I had to, you know, get a job, you know, within my degree. And um, so Coach Miller, who's now the coach of the Knicks, uh, he was the coach of Texas State at the time when I finished playing. He let me stay on for a year as a as a student assistant. And so that, that's kind of what got me started was coaching, seeing behind the scenes, you know, how Division One basketball worked behind the scenes with the coaches. I knew I wanted to get certified through high school, and so from there, I was lucky enough to fall into a job at South Sand, and uh, through my coaching connections, I knew Coach Wacker at Judson, and uh, the timing worked out perfect because I was able to stay with Wacker long enough to learn a lot of what he did, a lot of what went on Uh, in the coaching profession, working with other sports, working with your, your organizations like the High School Coaches Association and TABC, so I saw a lot of that. And it just worked out perfectly to where Wagner was going to open after I'd been there for four years. And so I was able to slide into that position right there. Uh, and obviously coached some great players there. I uh, Was lucky enough to have success there, which allowed me to go to Clemens. And, uh, you know, after, after 20 years of, of uh, high school basketball, again, right place, right time. It just so happened that this, I went to play at Temple Junior College for two years. Coach Johnson finally decided after 33 years that was enough. And uh, luckily, I was able to, uh, you know, slide into that position. And uh, that's where I am now.
0: Nice. Coach McKay, what about you? Uh,
1: Well, growing up in Australia, Australia has kind of a different system than we do here Uh, in America. We have the club system there where it's not so much high school basketball, but it's you go 10 and under, 12 and under, 14, 16, 18, 20 and under. So it's not uncommon Uh, Because you don't necessarily make – you're not going to make a living. It's coaching basketball over there, especially coaching juniors. um, It's not uncommon to get kids. So if you're on a 16 you team, you might coach like the 12-and-under team or the 10-and-under team uh, just because they need people to do it because parents can't really – it's hard for a parent to do it if they've got a kid on the team and you're not going to make any money doing it. So it's very much volunteer-based. So that's kind of how – Oh, I started coaching when I was a kid, just coaching younger kids than me, kind of like Coach was saying there when he was coaching the summer league team. Uh, and then once I got done playing, uh, my, ju- my junior college's coach, his son had an opening as a, a JV coach in Corsicana, Texas. And I didn't even know what I was going to do. He called me and said, hey, I got a job open. You want to do it? You got to teach health classes and coach JV basketball. And I was like, sure. I would the only time I'd ever been to Corsicana, Texas, was uh, to play juco ball, uh, to play against Navarro. Then we came in on a bus and left on a bus. I had no idea where I was going, uh, but I said, yeah, let's do it. And so uh, booked a plane ticket from Australia, came over, and went. And was there for four years teaching health class and coaching JV basketball, and then uh, McCollum – the head coaching position came open and uh, applied for that and was fortunate enough to get it. Really, really enjoyed my time there. had a great time. And then uh, met some just friends around just did basketball, just getting to talking to people. And there's an opportunity up there at Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma with uh, Coach Kruger to uh, go and be a graduate assistant. My wife was about to have our son. So she was going to leave work for a while to stay at home with him. So she wasn't tied to a job. So it was a good, really good timing for us to, to pick up and move. So we moved up there to Oklahoma, had some fun up there, uh, had some good success and just kind of really enjoyed that. And then this position back down here in Texas came open and uh, came down here and have been here for four years now, and the Valley is home for us.
0: Yeah, just judging by some of the your posts and stuff, you really enjoyed down there in the Valley. It seems like a real nice place to go home
1: man it's incredible it's unbelievable if you haven't been down here you gotta get down here it's just it's the best place to to raise a family and to, to be just be somebody living down here it's incredible i walk my son to school every day the people down here it's just awesome people. I mean, the weather's perfect year round. We, we are in the pool literally year round swimming and it's got everything you need. It's big enough. We got, I think it's like 1.3 million people live down here, but it feels like a small town, but it's got everything you need. It's close to South Padre, which you can't beat that. Uh, it's for a kid from Australia, man. It's, it's as close to living in Australia as I can get. huge town, big town, but small town filled with everything you want. it's,
0: I love it. Uh, I have to ask, obviously, but let's talk a little bit about your time at McCollum. Just uh, briefly, just <laughs> have to ask, right? Just, you, know, uh, you know, you did a really good job while you were there. Just things you missed, things that you enjoyed. Just a little bit about your time. Yeah. Uh,
1: that was not probably. It absolutely was the hardest decision I had to make professionally and personally to, to leave McCollum because the kids there were just incredible. Like, I talk the coaches and they talk about how they got to chase their kids in the gym. Oh, they won't come work out. They won't come and do X, Y, Z, but the kids there at McCollum, you had to kick them out of the gym. If I didn't tell them to leave, I would have been up there all night watching them play open gym, lift the weights, doing whatever. So just their passion and their enjoyment for being in the gym and playing, playing ball was really, really refreshing to me and something I really, really enjoyed uh, watching them and just kind of being a part of that. Uh, Loved how high they competed. I mean, those kids would just – they would run through a run through a brick wall to try and get a loose ball. They'd play so hard. It was just – they just loved the game. Just And for nothing other than just pure enjoyment of competing and playing. Uh, so that was something that really stuck out to me. And then just campus. People on campus were great, I think, when you teach a place like that. Like yourself, you're in it for the right reasons. You're not there to get rich. You're not there uh, for the – so the glamour, you're there because you truly do care about young people and their progression, not just as a basketball player, but as, as young adults heading into the real world. And watching kids grow from from middle school all the way up into high school and then go on to graduate and move on, you, there's something. There's you can't put a price on that, seeing people grow and develop and go on to be successful and just members of society. I
0: appreciate that, Coach. Hey Cliff, uh, well first again, congrats on the new job. just um, talk about how that all kind of unfolded. Um, I know you you played there. just uh, talk a little bit about the, the feelings behind going back to Temple and coaching over there.
2: Well, I really love small college. I just think that uh, you know, I, I experienced, you know, small college athletics two years playing in junior college in our campus and campus. Uh, and I think that the people who teach and coach. At these smaller colleges, are there for the right reasons. Uh, they love that that community feel that 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 you have being part of athletics like that. And um, so, anytime that the chance came available in, in the future, I was always looking at uh, you know the possibility of going to a small school. And I always had Temple in mind, obviously because I, I played there and knowing Coach Johnson and and uh, you know the the idea of being able to take kids around Texas, with, which is what. Temple College has always been about, um, which is, you know, you find kids in Dallas, San Antonio, Austin, Houston, everywhere in between. Get them there on campus. You know, we don't recruit nationally, really, unless somebody moves down here. Um, So we're not out looking at players in New York, California. We're just focusing here in our own backyard. And uh, that idea that you can bring kids from Texas there who played against each other, a lot of them played together. One of my high school teammates played when we were there at Temple. A couple of them did, actually. And, uh, you know, the, the, you can have that dynamic working where you can go there, be in that small community feel. Everybody roots for each other because we all know each other. you all live in the dorms together. I, I really enjoyed that. And so the chance to come back there was something I just, you know, when it came open, I had the chance. I just jumped at
0: it. And I guess uh, you've been in the high school for so long. Just talk briefly about some of the things that, that you're going to miss, you know, from the high school level that, that maybe were, that you won't get to have at the, at the college level.
2: Well, you know, it, it's, it seems uh, um, a little crazy, but, you know, I, we all complain sometimes about the talent that we have, how it fluctuates, you know, and you always say, man, I wish if I could recruit my own guy. Well, I, I did like that aspect. He took kids from the community that lived there. Uh, a lot of times they grow up together. Uh, you know, I've, I've lived in the northeast side and worked there where we do have military kids that move in and out. But for the most part, you have a community base of kids who grow up together, you know, when they're in third and fourth grade. They're talking about seventh grade football and seventh grade basketball and what they're going to do when they get to their junior high, or their middle school. And then that idea that you guys grow together from seventh grade on through your senior year is, is just, a, uh, it's just a unique thing. I think anybody who's been a part of it uh, knows you get to see those kids when they're little coming to camp and you watch them all 12 years come through and they stay together, and they talk about what they're going to do as they get older and playing, it. That, that's just a unique experience that um, high school coaches get to have with their community.
0: Awesome. Now, Coach McKay, you had, a, you had a pretty awesome March Madness experience. You want to talk about that just a little bit? Uh, at Oklahoma? In Oklahoma, yes, sir.
1: Yeah. Uh, we were really lucky right there. We – had a guy on our team who's playing in the NBA right now, Buddy Hill, who was just incredible, Um, one of the most amazing people you'll ever be around. He was there with us, obviously, but we also had some uh, other guys who were just just fantastic players and workers uh, who went on to be professional basketball uh, players around the world and here in America and around the world. Um, I don't think we really knew what we had when we started that year, but when Buddy decided he was coming back for his uh, senior year, and um, decided he didn't want to go to the NBA just yet. He wanted to finish college. Uh, that was really exciting and just kind of it, there's a there's a mix of talent, preparation, and a, and a little bit of luck there when you make it to the final four there because everybody everybody has future pros. Uh, everybody works really hard. Everybody's extremely well coached and prepared. Uh, but it was just an amazing thing when I first got there. Um, everybody says, "Hey, this guy's." The best guy you're ever gonna be around, uh, and and he's the nicest coach. And now they're talking about Coach Lon Kruger. They're saying he's the nicest person you're ever gonna meet. And kind of in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, you know, that's what everybody says about that guy. That he's the best, and he's awesome, and you can't beat him. Well, the most important lesson I got out of my time there was what a great guy. Coach Lon Kruger really is. He's a guy who's he's taken more teams or more programs to the uh, NCAA tournament than any other coach. He's going to end up in the Hall of Fame. He's taken two programs to the Final Four. He's coached who knows how many pros, uh, and he's absolutely the nicest person and most down-to-earth person uh, you're ever going to meet. Uh, so that through all that, and with you've got the ESPN coming in, you've got all the international and national media coming in to see how he was able to handle that and take all that in stride and still remain, keep all of our guys uh, humble and playing for each other and just doing the right thing and not getting their head in the clouds and getting focused on the wrong things was really incredible in how he was able to deflect all the praise, all the attention, and all all the accolades towards players and anybody but him, even though he was the architect of it all, uh, was really something special, and uh, it really drove home the point that coaching, at the end of the day, is not about you. It's about the players. It's about what's best for them. Uh, it was really incredible, and to you, know, you see that from a coaching standpoint, then you see from a player standpoint. Uh, everybody says, "Oh, my guy works the hardest. He's the hardest working guy you're ever going to see." Uh, the best way to sum it up for what I what I was doing there, I used to walk around. I would keep I had my shorts on all the time because I'd work out with guys. I would keep, literally keep Band-Aids in my pockets because I would be <laughs> on the court passing the ball so much to guys that were shooting and working out. The tips of my fingers, would, the skin would wear away and start to bleed because I'd be on the court that often, that long, every day, seven days a week passing the ball to guys. So somebody would come in and say, hey, come rebound for me. Come work me out. I'd have to pull out the Band-Aids, put them on the end of my fingers. Then it'd be another player, another player, another player. And by the end of it all, my fingers were bleeding. So I had to walk around, prepare for that. And that kind of tells you how hard they would work. And this was seven days a week, nonstop, before class, after class, before practice, and you got practice, after practice. They never stopped. And it was great to see them reap the rewards of all that work as college players and now as professionals.
0: That's an awesome experience.
1: So,
2: so let, let me ask Coach McKay: How did how did you enjoy coaching at a football school like a big, large football
1: university, where where football is number one, right? I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I was with the, the, I was with Coach Lon Kruger, the best guy you're ever going to meet. I had Buddy Hild, who was on the team, so you know when things went bad, it was hey, Buddy, go shoot a three, and he goes shoot a three and win us the game. And uh, things things were really good. I, I, now, obviously, uh, at OU, football is king and uh, we were at one point ranked number one in the country and and playing some good ball. And, uh, you know, people want to talk about who's the quarterback for the next next year on, <laughs> in football, you know. Uh, but I'll tell you, I didn't really pay much attention to it. I was at practice one time and on the side, I'm standing there on the sidelines and the team's going up and down. They're playing or they're doing a drill or something. This guy in, in some jeans and cowboy boots comes over and starts talking to me. He just stands next to me. And we stand and talk for about, I guess, about 8, 10 minutes while the practice is going on. And then something happened. We had to huddle and come together. And I said, ah, man, and took his hand. And we went back to huddle. And everybody, like, had wide eyes. Like, man, I can't believe it. You know him. I was like, I had had no idea who he was. They're like, that's Bob Stoops, man. That's the head. I had no idea who he was. I don't really follow football too closely. But being able to – having the opportunity, this is what I did get out of it, having the opportunity to walk over there and walk into the stadium and just kind of stand on the sidelines while those guys were practicing. More than playing, practicing was incredible because they've got 100-plus people out there. Uh And it looks like chaos out there, but it's all organized. And at the end of it all, it all has to fit together. I think that's something that I got out of that, the organization of football coaches far exceeds anything we do as basketball coaches. We've got 10, 15 guys. They've got just a massive amount of moving parts that they have to coordinate and have working together. And if they don't, it falls to pieces. So that was something I got out of that, watching them high-level organization.
0: Cool. All right. That's good. That's good insight right there. Yeah, I think people don't realize, I mean, you're right, the numbers that football coaches have to deal with and organize and make sure it works uh, I mean, we, we only have a handful compared to that. So, so much respect for yeah. those guys. You yeah. uh, talking about Buddy Hill, but, but Coach, you've you coached uh, Ellis. you coached a couple guys that are now in the league, you know, talking about Andre Roberson and, and Jordan Clarkson. But when they were in high school, you know, obviously you never really know how a kid's going to end up. Uh, but what were some of the things that you saw and you helped try to nurture when you kind of realized, you know, these guys have a chance?
2: Yeah, you know, obviously they're great players. And um, I, I think one of the biggest things that you start to sense as guys play more AAU and they become more serious about the game is that uh, you, know, you, you, try, you try to keep it in perspective for them, but also try to make sure they're having fun.
0: Yeah.
2: And I think for the, the way that we play, you know, getting up, pressing, shooting the ball quickly, uh, it allowed them to get out and have fun and not, not think so much. Uh, because, you know, once you start getting recruited, Coach McKay knows it's still a lot of times when you start getting recruited and you start moving up to your junior and senior year and the coaches are calling, it can be, it become a little bit overwhelming. Uh, you know, family gets more involved. Uh, it seems like every decision you make becomes bigger and bigger. And um, that's where I have to credit uh, Rodney Clark, who's there now as the head coach. He, he Him and Andre da- Andre Jackson, who were my assistants, did a great job with Andre and Jordan of really – you know, talking to them about everything but basketball. I mean, they just really joked around with them a lot. They were almost like big brothers in a sense. And, you know, as a head coach, when you're running around doing a million different things, you know, working with the administration, other coaches, whatever it may be, that a lot of times you really rely on your assistants to really work with your players and 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 be the, those people that they can talk to. And they were two really, really – I don't know if we could have done it without those two had I had, you know – we all know sometimes you get assistants that are out there who really don't put forth the effort or maybe don't relate as well to kids. Mm-hmm. And that could put a lot more strain on you as a coach to have to do that. The fact that I had those two guys around to really relate to them and, and just really joke with them and and uh, really keep things loose uh, really made a big difference on our team. And so uh, that that's one of the things I always remember, not just they were good players, but they had, we had a really strong administration there with, with Dr. Fields, who's still there at Jetson, Uh ISD now, he was a big basketball fan, big sports fan. And so he was always one that took an interest in our team as well. And so he was always one that would bring – take those guys to the side and talk to him as well. So they had a really, really good structure at home. They had a really good situation at school. And I think that played a huge part in them being able to develop.
0: And I'm sure I mean, it gives you a huge sense of pride. I mean, just talk about that real quick. When you see, you see your guys you know, growing up and then now you see them – you know, leaning on teammates, you know, like Kevin Durant or Kobe or LeBron. And, and just how, right. inside, how does that make you feel? I'm sure there's a whole bunch of pride is involved. Yeah, and
2: I think what, and that, that's where I think your high school experience comes in because they were guys that were freshmen. Uh, you know, really, Jordan didn't start playing, you know, really excelling at the varsity level until probably the second round of uh, district his sophomore year. Um, And then Andre really wasn't until about the 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 second part of the year, his junior year, that he really started to excel. So they were part of being on the freshman team their freshman year. You know, Andre played on the JV his sophomore year. Uh, uh, Jordan played, you know, uh, all came off the bench his sophomore year. So they were used to playing a smaller role in a team. So then as they, you know, became great players in high school and college, now you have to revert back to that when you're a professional where, you're not going to be the man. You know, it's like to, to play a role uh, in the starting lineup but not, not be the star or come off the bench, whatever the case may be. And so that was a big part of their development as well, is that they had to learn that there are roles to a team. You're not always going to be the star. And that really helped them out. And, and that's why they've been able to succeed professionally um, because, you know, there are a lot of guys, as you talk to, you know, talk to NBA people, there are a lot of guys who can't make it in the NBA because they can't accept that fact. They cannot accept the fact of playing a less role. They've never done it before. And it sounds easy because you say, well, they're making money. They're in the NBA. But if you've never done it before, it's not easy. There's a reason why some guys don't stick around the NBA that have talent because they're not used to filling a role. And those two guys were able to do that.
0: Awesome. You know, moving on, just, um, you know, one thing I've learned about just talking to coaches through this, uh, through these Zoom meetings is that, you know, it's much more than wins and losses and, and player development, and more so about the relationship and, and developing young men. Uh, so Let's talk a little bit about some impactful moments that you have. You don't have to use names or anything, but when you realize when you got in the business that this, this goes much deeper than wins and losses.
2: Coach McKay, you want to take that first?
1: Yeah, uh, I think for me the, the moments that uh in, in those situations that are the best that really win seasons. and come to a close you know when the basketball the ball stops bouncing and guys careers come to an end or they walk the stage and they graduate and then beyond that you can you can measure those moments as you get further and further away from playing uh the best things i get right now is just a phone call or messages or former players reaching out and hey coach how you doing checking in on you hope everything's well with you and the family things like that and it may be years removed uh from the relationship you had the player coach relationship that you had. Uh, and it, it may be something as simple as that. Just checking in on your coach, man, kids are getting big, those kind of things. But the fact that you're still uh, in their consciousness and still in their minds uh, many years removed from when you're yelling at them to go rebound or to run the floor or to take care of their grades, uh, I think that speaks on the, the impact that a coach can have on on young people.
2: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I still keep in contact with guys from Wagner, uh, you know, former players from Clemens that I coached, you know, seven, eight years ago. So a lot of times I invite them up to the gym, you know, open gym on the weekend, stuff like that now that they're all older and some of them have families go up there and we play basketball. Uh, I, I, I've, you know, I've always uh, enjoyed those relationships. I, I've also one of the things I really love is the fact that it's not always the, the coaches that are leading. Uh, it's not always the parents that are leading, but but when you watch other kids lift other guys up who may be struggling, and you see a guy who may be a discipline problem, and it's like like Coach Mckay said, it's not always the coach yelling at him. It's it's the other guys who lift him up that are role models. Uh, you know, like you brought up Jordan and Andre earlier. Uh, you know, had great parents at home. Like I said, great assistants. You know, we tried to try to do the best we could with our program probably the best role model they had when they were freshmen and sophomores were guys like Aaron Thomas, Eddie Ortiz, John Roberts, you know, those guys going to play at St. Mary's and our Lake, Lake University. Uh, there were some other guys too, but I mean, they were just what you would call a student athlete. I mean, they, they were straight A students, honor society, things like that. And so all the things that we as adults and coaches can talk about, there's nothing that, can replace the idea of watching your peers and those other guys that you want to emulate, um, watching them, uh, go about their business that, that young guys watch and see and say, you know what, I- I'm going to do that one day. I'm going to act like that one day and do this. And so that that's one of those big things that I, I really enjoy about high school basketball and, and you know, watching guys come from the junior high is they can watch those young, those older guys and try to emulate them.
0: That's good stuff guys. Um, Real quick, both of you guys uh, back in the day were, were really good shooters, right? So, so off top of your head, two of the best shooters of all time. Who are your top two shooters of all time? Go ahead, Coach. Just at,
2: at, at any level, watch At any level. The coach, any you level.
0: played with? Uh, no, just any level. Who, who, in your opinion, are the two best shooters of all time? Of all time.
2: Man, that's tough. Well, since my last name is Ellis, I'm going to throw out Dale Ellis. He was an unbelievable shooter. He played with the Spurs for a while. Yes, sir. And so I always, always liked him. You know, and then uh, you see him. He's a great coach. I mean, Steve Kerr was just one of those guys seemed like he never missed. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I watched him play. I mean, of course, playing with Jordan Pippen, he was always getting open shots, but he seemed to never miss. And, um, you know, but, but the guy I always used as, as an example was a guy that I didn't realize until a few years ago. Was a Jason Kidd was a, was a horrible shoot, shooter through uh, high school and college, and I think he's now leading. The, he led the NBA now in threes made, if I'm not mistaken. So he's a guy who wasn't a great shooter, but he worked at it, mm-hmm. and um, you know he, he ended up making himself into a guy who could make the three. So you know you got all kinds of lessons there with that one.
1: Coach McKay i numbers guys, so I was really quick. I was going to try and jump on Google real quick and find percentages. That was going to tell me everything because I like numbers. But uh, off the top of my head, I, I think you'd have to – you'd be hard-pressed to go past uh, Steph Curry. That guy's changing the game, the way he can shoot the ball. And then uh, I think if I was to go back a little bit further, maybe Steve Nash would jump in there just because uh, he was able to shoot so well, threes, twos, and from the free throw line. Uh I think it'd be hard – you'd be hard-pressed to go past those two guys because they are smaller guys who the degree of difficulty on their shots is probably a little higher than a bigger player.
0: I think too, like for a guy like Steph, um, like you said, it's the, – the, the degree of difficulty, he's got the ball in his hands a lot, uh, but he shoots it well in different ways, catch and shoot, off the dribble, step back, in traffic, uh, whatever. I mean, that guy's pretty remarkable at shooting the ball. It's incredible. Uh, real quick, before before we call this one a day, uh, best player you ever coached against?
2: Oh, man, that's a tough one. Coached against. Coach, okay, you take that one first. I got to think Ooh. for a second.
1: Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Best player. Oh, boy. Um, you know, somebody I really liked, and he, at the time when he was playing college <laughs> basketball, um for was for Kansas was uh Frank Mason. Frank Mason was he was incredible uh there at um Kansas. I thought he was really, really good. I love Javon Carter at West Virginia. Those two guys, their college basketball careers, I mean they were just really, really tough uh to prepare for and they were just uh undersized, but they just competed just incredibly well and uh had a huge impact on the game from a, from the point guard position. Really, really Enjoyed watching them. Um, let's go back a little bit further. I mean, if you're talking about when I was at OU, we, we played against so many future pros right there. It'd be hard yeah. pressed to would be hard-pressed to uh, separate them. But those are two guys that jump out to me as far as didn't maybe necessarily didn't have the, the physical tools of other guys, but uh, made huge impacts on the game.
2: I don't know if there's any one particular player. Um, you know, over the last 20 years, especially as a head coach, spending so much time pressing and running, you, you kind of don't think about the, the individuals as much. Uh, but I can tell you the, the group of, of players that, that kept me up probably the most at night preparing for was that uh, Laredo United team in 2010 that Archie Ramos had. I don't know if you saw them play, Coach. Yep, yep. Um, but they, they drove me nuts, and we played them four years that time uh, four times that year. Uh, the first game of the season, we played them in a couple of tournaments. Um, and then, uh, and then of course we played them in the regional tournament. And uh, I, I never had so much trouble preparing for a team because they had five guys that played as one. I mean, they, they just, they knew where each other was at. They were always, I mean, they were just always in lockstep with each other. And uh, of course, Archie's over there just coaching them like crazy. And um yeah, that that was probably you know besides any one player, that was probably the one team that uh, I just did not have an answer for. Besides Jordan Andre, just do something to help us win this game. I just I, that that was I I just couldn't come up with the clue because it seemed like everything that you tried to do, they had an answer for it, and their players could figure it out on the court better than anybody I've ever seen uh, going against them. And so, uh, so yeah, it wasn't one particular player. It was just that one particular team. Now, we played against teams that were probably more talented. But, you know, at a certain point, you know, either either you could kind of beat them, um, you know, and wear them down, or or they would, you know, they would become dysfunctional maybe. But that was the one team that just seemed to never break, that you just had to hope that, you know, your two guys and some of the guys – around them that we had would just make a play, just, just do something to kind of make this three-point lead, a five-point lead, and just hold on for dear life. And uh, that so that that one team and those collection of players drove me nuts. So you played four
0: year. times that year. What was the, the record of that series? That
2: actually my, – my, we actually played them three times. Mm-hmm. And we were two and one. Yeah, so we played in the first game of the year. We beat them at their place. They had us down like 20. I don't know. Jordan hit like – man, he must have like 42. I don't know. He hit like 45, something like that. And we barely won. And they beat us in a tournament by a few points. And then we had to turn around and play them again uh, in the regional tournament. And uh, again, uh, Jordan played great. Andre played unbelievable. And we found a way I think we beat them by five. And uh, yeah, that, that's one of those games to this day, uh, one of those teams that, like I said, they, they drove me crazy as the coach.
0: Nice. All right, one last question. You know, any advice for any coaches out there in regards to developing uh, mentally tough young men?
2: Um, I would say first, and this is one of the things I get concerned about as I watch uh, younger players, younger coaches that are coming up. Uh, You tell the players to stay off the technology and get in the gym. I'm getting more concerned about coaches getting to the gym as well now that we have so much technology with Huddle and – all the different technology things that we have where now you watch a lot of coaches. They don't go to coaching clinics because they can just simply get it from online here somewhere or some, you know, Zoom meeting. I know we're doing those now because we can't have coaching clinics, but I get worried about them, you know, simply saying, Hey, I'll get a subscription and just get it online. And then, uh, or, you know, when it comes to scouting, they don't go to the gym anymore to watch, watch the games in person. Because, you know, when you go to coaching clinics, that, that's where you pick up a lot of your stuff is by asking questions or asking questions of the coaches that are there with you, The side conversations that you have. I know a lot of my knowledge as I learned as a high school coach, I learned from the other coaches in the area and in certain things. Uh, I think that's how you learn about our profession. So I think it's hard to pass that stuff on to, to players to be mentally tough and to get the most out of them, if you are not willing to get to the gym yourself. And so, uh, you know, in, uh, in order for players to get better, they got to be in the gym. And I think it's the same way with coaches that if you're going to be able to uh, really hone in on kids and get, get the most out of them to be mentally tough or physically tough, whatever it is, you yourself got to be in the gym to, to, to initiate that.
0: Coach McKay? Yeah, I agree.
1: I couldn't agree more with that, what Coach said there. I think uh, w- whether you're a high school coach, college coach, or you're coaching in the pros, players are going to watch what you do much more than they watch what you say. And the example that you set, uh, that, they s- that they'll see every day uh, speaks volumes. Is going to speak louder than any speech or do more than any drill. Uh, so if you're a coach that maybe isn't pushing himself, is not prepared or is not there early, is not staying late, uh and again you ask mental toughness you know if you're a coach that loses their composure in difficult moments and can't remain focused uh then they're going to see that and they're going to follow that example and and that's true of anything when it comes to working with young people they're going to follow your example more than they do your words um so how you conduct yourself not just during games but outside of games are you taking care of yourself are you are you disciplining yourself are you keeping yourself in shape are you taking care of your emotional state, it's taking care of your professional development, uh, your personal life, things like that. Uh, players are watching that and they may not even be actively watching it. They just oftentimes are, uh, absorbing that through osmosis just because they're around you so much. Uh, I think that's huge. Uh, another thing I think is uh, society in basketball has taken away from kids a lot with trainers and different types of basketball. The competitive nature in basketball is kind of, Taking a step back, the skill may have improved and it has improved, but the competitive nature has uh, maybe backslid a little bit. so I think when it comes to mental toughness, that's like any skill when it comes to sport, the more you practice it, the better you're going to get at it so if 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 your practices include situations that are difficult and hard, and the players have to overcome adversity. And you do that on a regular basis. It's just like shooting a basketball. If you shoot a ball a lot, you're going to get good at shooting the ball. If you overcome adversity a lot, you're going to become really good at overcoming adversity and remaining mentally tough. So if it can be built into practice, I think that's, that's huge. And uh, you become good at it, and you, you, you sink to the level of your training when it comes to games. And if you don't practice a thing, it's not going to be there on game night.
2: Nope. Yeah, Marcus, and and building off of that, and Coach McKay probably, you know, I I like to hear what he has to say about the college workouts too. The thing that I think we're all becoming concerned about is that as more and more kids specialize at age five or six in basketball, they are getting hurt way too much. Um, You know, there are more and more basketball-related injuries from just wear and tear of jumping, running, uh, you know, sliding on the basketball court. That, uh, you know, you're just seeing a lot of guys that are in high school and in the college who are just they're broken down. I mean, their bodies are given out. I think I watched I didn't get a chance to watch very many college basketball games this year. But everyone that I watched, there were more just as many guys sitting on the sideline in uh, walking boots and cast than there were actually dressed out to get ready for the game. And I'm watching it more and more in high school, too, where guys are just, you know, sports specific injuries with basketball. Is just becoming the thing where you have a talented team and two or three of their better players are sitting out a lot of the season because they're just, you know, you can say mental toughness, but if you have a fractured bone in your foot, you really can't play. It don't matter how tough you are. Or if you have, a, um, you know, these stress fractures that that happen so much and knee problems that make their way into their hip and your back, you can be as tough as you want to be. But if you have those things, you physically can't move, Uh, It doesn't matter how mentally tough you are. You can't play. They can't put you out there. And so that's one of my – that's one of the things that I've tried to over the years, especially with us getting up and down the court so much, is I've tried to learn when to back off is is a big mental toughness and not uh, make it to where you think your teams have to be these physically grueling tough teams that are hurt all the time. Um, So I think that's one of the things that coaches uh, we have to be aware of uh, because, like I said, it doesn't make any sense doesn't make much sense how tough a kid is if he can't physically play.
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. It's uh, Kids, are they're under so much pressure now to get that college scholarship. You know, people, whether it's parents, families, coaches, AU coaches, there's so much riding on them get that scholarship that it seems like they don't ever take any time off. Mm-hmm. And they go – they jump straight from their high school season right into their – uh, club ball, AAU basketball, and they're playing just nonstop, and they're playing all summer. I go to Vegas sometimes when well, when we used to go to Vegas, and it'd be the third week in a row recruiting, and I'm watching these kids, and I mean they they're just their bodies are done, and they can't they've been playing for three weeks straight, flying all around the country, playing two three games a day for five days, and they got to go. Fly to the next city, do the same thing, all looking for that college scholarship, and they just beat down. I'm tired, and I'm just watching them. I'm just sitting there on the sideline watching them, and these guys are just beat down. And the ball never stops bouncing for those guys. And now in college, we it didn't used to be for us that we could do anything with them in the summer. It was all on them, pick up ball and doing their own workouts. Now we can work with them in the summer, so now the stress on their bodies has increased. And I know now in high school in Texas, now you can work with the guys in the summer where it used to be hey, you can encourage them to get in the gym and do certain mm-hmm. things, but you couldn't make them be in there. So now the the stress, especially for young growing bodies that aren't fully developed yet, if, if there's not good measures in place to offset the stress on their bodies, whether it's preventative Strength and conditioning, or preventive sports medicine—it's it can be really, really tough on a on a growing body.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: No, that's those are both very. I mean, those are very good points. I think this whole situation right here is good for some of our kids to kind of take a break, get their bodies to rest a little bit. Hopefully, it's not the whole summer, right, where we can't get to a gym. All right. But right. But this small break may be beneficial for some of them without them even realizing it.
1: Um, Yeah, and then you talked about mental toughness. I mean, emotionally and mentally, that's got to be a beatdown for a kid to have somebody riding their back all year round, nonstop. You got an adult yelling at you for basketball. They're not playing pickup ball anymore, and it's not their fault. That's the way – it's not the kid's fault. It's the way the basketball world is set up now. They're not – they're not getting to just kind of be kids.
2: Mm.
0: You know, just to touch back on what you said earlier, Coach McKay, about uh, competitiveness, kind of taking a seat. You know, you see in this Jordan documentary, I don't know if you watched it, but uh, you get to see that fire and that competitive drive that Michael Jordan had uh, that helped separate him. You know, just touch on that real quick again. Just what, what, what do you think is, I guess, the key factor in why you see that shift? Yeah.
1: I'm, why it is, I think, again, these kids don't necessarily get to be kids anymore and that's our fault as adults. They're having the, the ability to develop those skills taken from them, whether it's because they're working out with uh, different trainers or they're being, they're being motivated so much by adults. And it's, it's extrinsic. It's not intrinsic that got somebody else pushing them rather than learning them how to push themselves. And that makes it hard for them to, for people to ever develop uh, that intrinsic motivation, that intrinsic drive to do it themselves when you've got adults holding your hand and saying, all right, let's go. We're going to work out. We're going to take, go take X amount of shots. They don't ever get the opportunity to figure it out for themselves. And now I'm not bemoaning young people now. I'm a big fan of young people. I think if you don't enjoy young people and you're not an advocate for young people, then coaching is the wrong profession. I just don't think it's their fault. I don't think there's anything wrong with kids these days. I think it goes back. Say what you want about Coach Bob Knight, but somebody asked him what's wrong with kids. He says nothing wrong with kids. It's adults. It's problems with adults. And I think we're stealing these opportunities that may seem good in the short term, but as adults, we steal opportunities for young people to grow and develop on their own. Um, now, obviously, everybody's not going to rise to the level of Michael Jordan, and obviously, we need to still be there to catch kids when they fall and help them and guide them along the path. But they also need to to develop some of their own skills and abilities just through trial and error on their own.
0: Coach Ellis, do you have anything to, to add to that?
2: Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's so true. Uh, that That's one of the things I got out of it. And and it's it's probably why so, so many of the kids, and I even say some of the younger coaches who, who harp on, you know, some of the players that we have today in the NBA, are they better than Jordan and this and that? That was probably one of the, the, the first things they were probably shaking their head about when they watched the documentary was Michael Jordan was riding his bike to, to campus at North Carolina like you know he spent three years in college and he had to you know he was a freshman who played a role behind other guys like they, they don't they don't see that development anymore most most of the players now are like we just had last week guys that are now uh, skipping college altogether and they're going straight to the NBA the top players are. And now they're setting up certain circumstances for them to to do it. And uh, like Coach McKay said, they probably had an adult their entire career setting everything up for them and making sure they did this, taking them here, taking them that. And so a lot of that motivation is is, is from the outside. It's not, it's not an internal drive of theirs because they had to go out there and work on their own and, you know, play other sports and, a lot of times, you know, when, when I was younger, you stayed in competitive mode because you went from sport to sport. You know, every league that you joined, whether you went to a baseball league or then you played soccer, then you played basketball. You, you played in a league and there was always a championship for it over those few weeks or couple months or whatever it was. So you were always part of a team. You're always being coached and you're always competing, learning different things. Well, now, you know, kids may spend, you know, go, go with the trainer and just work out for two hours and and uh you know they have a guy who's kind of pushing them uh training them but it's really not team oriented um uh, you know they're not really coaching they're they're training them and then kind of what's the end goal it's not to win a team championship at the end of the season it's to get a college scholarship like coach McCabe was saying earlier and so you kind of you kind of worry where is their motivation at um when things do get a little rough you know and and they they have to um they have to get out there and compete, and, and Coach McKay knows this. That that's why our transfer portal is so huge uh, with NCAA basketball. I've had to look at it now myself. Even I'm surprised as I watch guys who are um, you know Division One, Division Two transfers that are back in the portal a year after being one of the top players in the state or top players in the country or whatever it may be, and now they go into a situation where they're no longer the number one option, number two option. They are now having to come off the bench or play a lesser role that becomes too much of some guys to handle because they never had to do it before. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, that, you know, that, that is something that has changed. But I do agree with Coach McKay. Another thing is that, you know, kids are great kids. I, I, even I've been surprised, as I've called uh, more and more of guys that we're recruiting, just how many of them are yes, sir, no, sir, even though it's a junior college and they probably had in their mind that they were going to sign Division One and uh, only the big-time Division Ones were going to call them. The fact that a junior college is calling them, they're still respectful. They still would appreciate the opportunity to come to the school. And so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's different now. Uh, but I, I still think, like Coach McKay said, kids are kids. They, they really are.
0: One of my favorite parts of that documentary so far is when they showed Jordan getting physically beat up by the Detroit Pistons. And when he got tired of it, they, what they showed him doing, getting in the weight room, lifting weights. Right. I want to get physically stronger so I can deliver the punishment. Right? I mean, just that mentality of I need to get better at this so this doesn't happen anymore. I mean, uh, it was. I think it's good for young people to watch and learn and, and to see how to overcome some of those obstacles. I think it was. It's beneficial if they take it that way. Right. Yeah. It's, sure. It's great if people can take
1: and learn from that. I want to be sure that I, I say this. I'm not. I don't think that there's anything wrong. with I think basketball is better now than it was when I was growing up. I think Michael Jordan's the best, if not the best ever to play. But overall, basketball is absolutely better. And I am i don't romanticize the 80s and 90s when I was playing just because it was my time when I was coming up. I mean, basketball, it's better. It just is. The players are more skilled uh, and they're more talented. And that's not just from the pros. That's across the board and all over the globe. its It's natural that a game – that's maybe besides soccer is the most played game in the world is going to evolve and get better over 20 or 30 years so I I just want to throw that out there because I don't want people to think I'm one of these old guys that says hey back in my day players were better and this that and the other because when there's you're talking about the NBA guys when there's 30-40 million dollars a year involved they're going to get better
0: that's a good point point. players are a lot more skilled and, and, and there's so much athleticism involved these days it's It's fun to watch. Well, I I appreciate you guys taking time to to hang out and talk. It's been about an hour or so. Don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, But I am appreciative. Yeah, man, I got to go sit by the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This has been fun. I mean, I'm having a blast just talking to different coaches and selfishly learning everything I can, even though we're doing this as a podcast type deal. I'm I'm writing notes and trying to get as much from everybody that I can and, and take what I can and learn.
2: We're good. I'm glad you did this. Appreciate it.
1: Yes, sir. Appreciate you, Coach. Thanks so much. Congratulations again, Coach.
0: Yes, sir. Thank Coach you. Ellen. We'll do oh, that. Oh, man.
1: Deal. <laughs> All, right.
0: <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Coach. Watching. Appreciate you right, guys. Appreciate yes, sir. All right. Thank Have you. a good day.